Last week, we introduced our 2018 theme, and the theme is committed. And the phrase that we want to keep in our mind throughout the year is that in response to the God who committed all to our salvation, we commit all to him, to his glory, to his cause, and to his people. That's what we want to drive. Everything that we are and everything that we do this year is a commitment to the God who committed everything to us. But you know what's kind of funny? The word commitment isn't found in the Bible. It's really kind of funny. You would think that of all the words, commitment would be a popular word in the Bible. You would think, man, we talk about commitment all the time, being committed to God and committed to Jesus. But the Greek word that we might translate as committed or commitment is pistis. And do you know how we translate that? We translate that as faith. Because that's what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is not just belief. It is belief, but it's also trust. It's commitment. It's loyalty. It's allegiance. When we say that we put our faith in Jesus, we're not just saying that we believe that he is who he says he is. We're saying that because we believe he is who he says he is, we are committing our entire self to him. That's what it is to be a disciple. That's what we're talking about this month is being committed to discipleship, being committed to following Jesus. And we're looking at the gospel account of Matthew. And we talked about last week how Matthew is painting this amazing picture for us about who Jesus is. That Jesus is, yes, the Messiah, the Christ, the one they've been waiting for, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But somehow he is also... Emmanuel, God with us. And that as he went and proclaimed the gospel, the good news about who he was and what he had come to bring, people like Peter and Andrew and James and John saw him for who he was. And do you remember last week we looked at Matthew 4, how when he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, they immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. And so I asked you and challenged you last week to consider the question, what are my nets? What are my nets? Fishermen fish. That's what they do. They use nets. They cast their nets. They mend their nets. They, they sit in their boat. They fish. That's what fishermen do. That's ordinary, average, everyday, typical kind of living for fishermen. And they left the ordinary behind. They left the average behind. They left the typical behind. So what are your nets? What is the ordinary, everyday, average, typical, red-blooded American way of life that you've left behind in order to follow Jesus? Yes, we've left our sins behind, but we've also left the ordinary behind, haven't we? And we've said, because Jesus has permanently interrupted my life, because I've seen Jesus for who he is, I can't go back to living a normal, everyday, 
kind of life. And so I want us to continue that conversation this morning. I want to use a different metaphor, a different boat metaphor. Think about this for just a second. You ever been on a dock and you're getting into a boat and maybe the boat has already been untied and you're trying to step off from the dock into the boat? There's a moment, right, where you have one foot on the shore or one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat. And at that point, you have to make a decision, right? You go back, get on the dock and say, never mind, I'm okay, I'm going to stay here. Or do you go ahead and you get in the boat? But but one thing is for sure, you can't stay in the middle. You you can't. Eventually, the decision will be made for you, right? You, you, You have to decide, do I commit and get in the boat? Or do I go back and I stay on the dock? But I can't, I can't stay here. I can't stay with one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat. But if we're honest, that's exactly how we try to live our Christian life sometimes, isn't it? One foot on the dock, one foot in the boat. And we say, this whole following Jesus thing, this whole being a Christian, being a disciple, that sounds great. Go to heaven. Yes, I like it. Be saved, forgiven. Yes, I want that. That sounds terrific. I want to follow Jesus. And so we put one foot in the boat. But we say, but at the same time, I I really don't want to change anything. I, I still want to live the ordinary everyday life, just like my neighbors. I, I want to I wanna still have everything I had before and live the, the same life and not leave my nets behind. And so we try to stay there with one foot in the boat and one foot on the dock. But at some point, we have to realize you can't stay there. You have to decide. Will you go back to the dock? Will you go back to living the ordinary, everyday, average kind of life as if the Son of God hadn't made His appearance and come into the world and changed everything? Or will you go ahead and make a commitment and get into the boat and live, not just with Jesus as your top priority, with everything in your life submissive to the fact that you are a follower of Jesus, the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. There's a quote I heard this week, and I I was really, sometimes I hear an illustration or a quote, I think, "Mm, should I tell that? But it was, it was too good not to tell. It was so, so indicative uh, of what's true of a lot of us. It was a quote uh, that, that a newspaper or a magazine was doing one time with Ray Kroc, who was the founder of McDonald's. And they asked Ray Kroc, what do you believe in? And he said, I believe in God, family, and McDonald's. And and then he paused for a second, and he said, but when I get to the office, I reverse that order. And, And I don't know if he was joking or if he was serious, but I thought, you know, honestly, that's pretty indicative of how a lot of us live our Christian lives, isn't it? We say, here are my priorities, God, number one, family, number two, everything else, number three, work and hobby and everything else. But Depending on where we are, we switch the order. Jesus is calling us to be totally committed. Take the foot off the dock, get in the boat, and follow him. So let's, let's consider a few passages. Look at Matthew chapter 4. We're going to pick right up where we left off last week. And again, Matthew is painting this picture, isn't he? He's saying that this, this baby who was born into the world is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That these wise men from the east have come, offer their gifts, and bow down and worship him. That, that he's going and he's telling the world, repent. For the kingdom of heaven 
is here. It's at hand. The heaven's reign has come. A heaven's king has come to reign over you. Everything from this point on is going to be different. Everything is going to be changed. And the people like Peter and Andrew and James and John who saw Jesus for who he was said, I'm going to leave my ordinary life my everyday average life, and I'm going to follow this one. I'm going to put all of my faith in him. Even when Jesus was baptized, I think about that moment in, in Matthew chapter 3, don't you, where he's, he's baptized and then heaven itself opens up and a voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The, the spirit of God descends on him like a dove. It's obvious that everything has changed. And then in Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 23. And he went, Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, the good news, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, the reign and the rule of God, of heaven. And he went about healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. It was obvious that something special was happening. Something was changing. God's Rule, God's reign, God's glory had shown up the moment that the faithful Jews had been waiting for, for the Messiah to come, for him to bring a new era, not just in Israel, but a new era in human history had shown up. And everything from this point forward was going to be different. Now, the picture that they had in mind of how it was going to be different, that would be even radically shifted. But one thing was for sure, everything from this point on will be radically different. And then in Matthew chapter 5 and, and then through chapter 7, he gets up on the mountain and preaches what we call the Sermon on the Mount, right? And the way Matthew puts that, that he goes up onto the mountain, it reminds us of, of Moses, doesn't it? And Jesus goes up onto the mountain to explain to them the law, to tell them this is what God always intended. Your teachers have said this to you, but I say this. This is what God wanted. Your teachers say this, but I say to you, and bringing God's people back to himself. And then in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, when Jesus came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him. I can't even really wrap my mind around what it would be like to be in the first century and diagnosed with leprosy. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that somebody sends you a card and says, hope you get well soon. Because when you're a leper, it's a life sentence. It's not just something that you have, it's something that you are. From that point forward, you're unclean. You're cast out. You can't be with your family and your friends, and you hurt, and eventually you die with this disease. But the fame of Emmanuel, 
The fame of the Savior, the fame of this Jesus, the, the fact that he was healing every disease and affliction, it was spreading. And so in the heart of this leper was hope and faith. And he came to Jesus and he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, listen to how he said that. He didn't say, if you can, will you? That's how we pray a lot, isn't it? If you can, will you? That's not what the leper said. He said, if you will, if you want to, you can. Not if you can, will you please? But I know you can, will you? If you will, I know you can take this away from me. I know you can make me clean. Verse 3, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Look at chapter 8 and verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him. Now, I mean, now this is a totally different kind of character that's come into this narrative that we're reading, isn't it? Here is a man who is the commander of Roman troops. He is the commander of an occupying force that's in Israel. Now, I've never been a citizen under an occupying army, but this is an interesting scenario that's playing out before our eyes. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, now listen to this, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, now again, I mean, imagine an occupying army. The, 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 the people that had taken over the world, Rome, right? And, and here is a representative of Rome, a commander of a hundred men, commander of Roman troops. And he looks at this teacher, this Jew, and he says, there's something about you. And he says, I, I know that you can, you can help my servant. But what's even more amazing is he says, when Jesus says, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to heal your servant, he says, I'm, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But, listen to this, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now that, my friends, that is Faith, that is someone who even though he's a Gentile, even though he may not have even known about all of the promises and the whole story that Jesus is the culmination of, the climax of, he may not have known that story, but he knew Jesus. And he knew that in this man, there was something special. And that this man was so awesome, so holy, so important that this Roman centurion was not worthy to have this man come under his roof. And he says, I know that you can just say the word and my servant will be healed. Verse 9, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me and I say to, go, to one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes and to my servant, do this and he does it. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, he's saying, I, I know about authority. I, I know what that's like. I mean, my commander says, hey, go do this, and I go. I don't question. I just go. He just has to say the word, and it happens. 
And, and, and I do the same with the troops under me. I say to my servants and to my soldiers, go do that. And they don't question me. There's no backlash. It just happens. I say it and it happens. And I know that you have authority over the things I can't see. I, I know you have authority over disease. I know you have authority over life. I know that you have authority over healing. And I know that you can simply say the word. And my servant will be healed. And look at verse 10. When Jesus heard this, I love these two words, he marveled. He marveled. This Roman, this Gentile soldier had a faith that marveled the Messiah. And Jesus said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, no one, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Church, do you know that's us, right? I mean, we are the Gentiles, the nations from the east and the west that have come. Not will come, but now, in, in our time, we, we have come. We've come under heaven's reign and heaven's rule. We've come and we are sitting at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Why? Because we see in Jesus what the centurion saw in Jesus. We know that he is the one who has all authority. And we've committed ourselves to him. And, and Jesus says, soon the people from the east and the west will come and sit. And they'll be a part of the table, part of the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. While the sons of the kingdom, the Jews who don't believe, that I am who I'm showing myself to be will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. That's good, isn't it? You see, I mean, everything up to this point in Matthew's gospel account is all building so that we see Jesus with the eyes that we're supposed to see him with. That we know that Jesus is God with us. That he is the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is heaven's king come to reign over those who will put their faith in him. And so our reaction is supposed to be the same reaction as Peter and Andrew and James and John, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. But here in chapter 8, we kind of hit a roadblock or, or maybe a speed bump in the road. Look at verse 18. It says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. Now, that, that's the thing. His, his fame was spreading. The crowds were coming and everybody said, he's special. There's something about him. But there were a lot of people, weren't there? Just like today, one foot on the dock and one foot in the boat. That's how the crowds were, right? They're, they're, they're kind of testing it and saying, I, I don't know, there's something special about this guy. I, I, might, I might think that he's the Messiah. And they're kind of putting one foot over, but one foot is still on the dock. And there's, there's thousands that are in that situation, not knowing, is this the one that we think he very well might be? And then verse 19, it says, and a scribe. Now, now, we don't really have a category for that, and so it's kind of difficult for us to picture who is this scribe, but the scribes were incredibly important people in that culture. They were not only the copyists who copied the law to new, fresh copies, but they were also experts in the law. They, and remember that the law, 
the law of Moses, the Old Testament. I mean, it wasn't just their religion. It was their civic life as well, right? And so these scribes were not just religious leaders. They were civic government leaders as well. And they were not just teaching, this is what the law of Moses says. But they're saying, now listen, now, now. You know we're supposed to keep the Sabbath. Well, this is how we keep the Sabbath. And if you do X, Y, and Z, well, that's working. And you can't do X, Y, and Z. But if you do A, B, and C, you can do that, but you can't do this. And they were developing and holding on to and passing on all of the traditions and the interpretations and all of these things surrounding the law. And they were incredibly important people in their culture. This was their, their livelihood. This is everything that they were. They had probably money, they had respect, they had authority, they had power, and here a scribe. A scribe comes to talk to Jesus. Now, look at what it says. He came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, I mean, if you're just reading this for the first time and you don't know what's about to happen next, you might think, Well, Jesus, man, you just hit the big time, man. I mean, yeah, you got a scribe on your team now. I mean, you know, some fishermen, I mean, that's great, you know, and you got these guys and these guys, you know, you got the, you got the crowds, but now, now, now the guys with power are starting to take notice. Now that the influential people are starting to take notice and, and, and the way we typically think about it is we typically think, well, that's, that's who you really need on your team. That's who you really want on your team. Now, Jesus, be really, be really careful what you say next because you don't want to run a guy like this off, right? I mean, you want this scribe on your team. But look at what Jesus says to him. He says, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Okay? And then what does the scribe do? I don't know. It doesn't say, right? Think about what he's saying. Think about the way he's making disciples. What he's laying out there for them. To say, listen, I know this, I know this sounds good, and I know that you have good intentions, maybe even. And you say, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. But you need to know that if you follow me, everything changes. Right now, you've got a cushy job, and you're comfortable, you've got a house, and you've got, you know, all the comforts that this life can afford you, but if you come and follow me, everything is going to be different. See, even a fox has a hole, and even a bird up in the air, he has a nest. He has some place to go to shelter him from the storm, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The implication being, if you follow me wherever I go, that's going to be your life. Are you willing to take your foot off the dock and put it in the boat? Are you willing to say, I'm done with life as usual? I'm done with business as usual. I'm done with the way things have always been because something is happening right now. I'm in the midst of something so special, so powerful, so life-changing and world-changing that I'm going to step off the dock and into the boat with both feet. Are you willing to do that? Because if you are, you need to understand that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And and then it gets maybe even a little bit more bizarre from there. Verse 21, another, and, and here's a phrase I failed to recognize before, but it says, another of the disciples. So here was a person who was already 
a follower of Jesus. He was already coming with Jesus. He wasn't just part of the crowd. He was one of the disciples. Not one of the 12, not one of the apostles, but one of the disciples. So he was a disciple, and he said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, I know you've heard lots of sermons and lots of explanations of this and say, well, maybe his dad was just getting old and, you know, he needed to go home and wait for his dad to die and then have a funeral. Or maybe he was already dead. And that's not the point. The text doesn't say any of that, right? He just says, listen, Lord, I've got some business I need to take care of. I know that following you is important and I know it's good and I want to do it. Trust me, I want to do it. I want to keep following you. But I've got some other stuff I've got to take care of. I, I got to put this on hold, kind of put this on the back burner for right now and go take care of some other stuff. And Jesus says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. There's a time when things are so pressing, so tantamount, so important, so vital that there's not time for anything else. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying don't have funerals for your parents and don't take care of business. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying, if you're living right now in this time period and you're looking right at me and you really think that following me is something you can put off until later, then you really don't understand what's happening. If you don't understand that this has to become all that you are, then you don't really understand what's going on and what's about to happen. He says, listen, you've got to put off everything else and come and follow me. And here's where I want us to land for the day is there's no such thing as a part-time disciple. But sometimes that's what we think we can be, isn't it? Sometimes we think that we can be a part-time disciple. Like we can, yes, I, I want to follow Jesus. And yes, I want to have spiritual things in my life. And you know, that's kind of a funny phrase, isn't it? My spiritual life. We say that sometimes, don't we? My spiritual life. As if that's just a compartment of who we are. We say, well, this is my spiritual life. Over here, that's my work life. And this is my family life. But but my spiritual life, it's important. But it's just a part of me. I, I think Jesus would, would kind of chuckle at that if, if he was being generous. I, I don't think we should have a part of our life that's a spiritual life. I, I think that Jesus has to be our life. Our life has to be spiritual we have to say, I'm, I'm done with living life as it was before, and I'm ready to put both feet in the boat and be a follower of Jesus. I'm ready to commit everything I am to being a disciple of Christ. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, when he returns, when Christ, who is your life, that, that's what all of this about discipleship is all about, isn't it? Make Christ your life. Now listen. I know you've got stuff going on in your life. You've got parents that need taken care of, or you've got kids that need taken care of, or you've got a job that's pressing in on you. You've got financial worries and concerns. And this message that Jesus is giving to us isn't don't be concerned about any of those things, but he's saying, listen, if you make me your king, if you become my disciple, if you make me your life, If you make that the overarching umbrella of everything you do and everything you are, then everything else has a way of working out. Maybe not in a comfortable way. Maybe sometimes it's even more difficult. 
But it's when we say, Jesus is my life. I am a follower of Christ. And that's going to shape, that's going to shape everything I say, everything I do, the way that I think, the way that I feel. It will change the way you do marriage. It will change the way you raise your children. It will change the way you look at your aging parents. It will change the way you do your job. It will change the way you handle your finances. If you say, above everything else, and in every area of my life, and the, the key identity of mine is, I am a follower of Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the Christ, everything I am, Everything I do, everything I have, I commit to him. It changes the way you punch in on Monday morning. It changes the way you punch out on Monday night. It changes the way you treat your wife when you get home. It changes the way you treat your husband when you get home. It changes the way you treat your kids. It changes what your goals are. It changes what your priorities are. It changes everything. And that's the message of the gospel is that the Son of God has come into the world and you can't go back to business as usual. You've got to decide. Both feet on the boat or both feet on the dock, but you can't have one in each. You can't be a follower of Jesus and keep your life as normal. You can't. There is no such thing as a part-time disciple of Christ. So we've got to decide. Will we be full-time followers of Jesus? Full-time followers of Jesus when we're talking with our spouse, when we're having a disagreement, when our kids aren't doing what they're supposed to do, when our parents are aging, when our job is failing, when everything seems to be crumbling around us, will we keep our eyes on Jesus and be full-time followers of his commitment is what faith is all about. And maybe there's somebody here this morning that hasn't started that journey. You've been thinking about it and you've kind of been testing. You kind of put one foot in and you say, I'm just not sure, but you're ready to be baptized into Jesus, to put both feet in the boat and say, I will follow him. Or maybe you've already made that decision. You just kind of have been going back and forth. Or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement to stay the course. We're in this together, aren't we? In just a few minutes after services, our shepherds are going to meet in my office. And if you need prayers, I encourage you to go back with them. Let them pray with you and encourage you. Or now you can come forward as together we sing this song.